You're listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Follow us in our study of God's Word. A guest pastor to speak to us this morning, and some of you guys have heard him before. Uh, let me see if I get the name correctly this time. Uh, is Mark Reiswig? Yes. Okay, I got it. And uh, he actually is one of the pastors over at City View Church, which is down the street. And so many of you guys enjoyed his message last time. I'm sure he has a word of God that's going to inspire each and every one of us this morning. So, without further ado, Pastor Mark. Old means old. It doesn't mean dead. There is a tree called the Old Sherman Tree in Sequoia National Park in California. It is estimated to be 2,200 years old. But it's still alive, and in fact, it's still growing. Fun fact about trees is they never stop growing. There's a restaurant in Austria, the oldest restaurant in the world. It was opened in the year 803. It it served a few notable customers, Christopher Columbus and Mozart. It's old, but it's still running today. Colgate started in 1806, and actually, it did not start with toothpaste. It started with soaps and candles. It didn't start selling uh, toothpaste until 60 years after it started. It started in 1806, And you can go today after church and find Colgate on the shelf at Walmart because it is still alive. Old doesn't mean dead. It it just means old. Could it be that something as old as 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 4,000 years old, could that still be alive? And not just alive, but could it be relevant? Could it be helpful? Could it be useful? Could it be active? That's the question that we are going to tackle today because the fact is this book is old, thousands of years old, but it is far from dead. It is alive and even more than alive as we will discover today. But before we go into this old book, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being a a good God. You are an old God, but God, you never change, and you have always been, and you will always be. And what a comfort that brings us today. As we worship an eternal God, as we hold an eternal word that is eternal truth, and and that, that you have this perfect and eternal love for us. God, I just pray that that love would just enter our hearts and our minds today, and may you put in us a hunger for your word like we've never had before. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. Well, it is, a, it is an honor, it is a privilege to be here today. Thank you so much. I love worshiping with you and just love to see what God is doing all throughout the valley as, as we are one team 
under one church, one God, one Lord, one Jesus. And it is just phenomenal to see how you are reaching the community. I can't wait to see how God works in, in, in the upcoming months as you reach out to the community in, in different creative ways. So thank you for being the church. Thank you for being faithful. Uh, and it's an honor for me to, to come and, and partner with Pastor Stephen as he's uh, in this series of Membership Matters. And in week one, just a few weeks ago, you all talked about why join a church. Last week we looked at, or rather a couple weeks ago, the history of Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. And then last week, what we believe part one. Today is what we believe part two, focusing on an oldie but a goodie, an old but eternal word. And we're going to discover today how this is old, but it is far from dead, and it is actually alive, it is active, and it is useful. If the Bible were a baseball card, as I had in my youth that are now worth nothing, but I spent all of my allowance on um, every single week, if you turn over on the back of a baseball card, it's going to have stats, you know, things like home runs and RBIs and where the guy was born and where he went to college. If the Bible were a baseball card, it would have many stats as well. Let me, let me, let me help Help us all be familiar with some of these statistics. The Bible was written over a span of about 1,500 years. It has 66 books total within it, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It was written, of course, by God, but it was breathed through people. Now, do we completely understand that? No, we're going to chalk that up to one of the mysteries of God, something that is bigger than us, something we can't quite fathom, like the deity, you know, like the, the trinity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have some ways of kind of understanding that, but at the end of the day, we just realize, okay, God is higher than us, and his ways are higher than us. But God used people, about 40 different authors, to pin down the Bible. And then here's what's interesting about some of these people that wrote the Bible. They, they were kings, they were peasants, they were shepherds, they were fishermen, they were generals, they were prophets, and they were just regular people that said yes to God, that surrendered to God, that had their ears open to God's voice. What else about the Bible? It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, written on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and, uh, and Europe. It's a fantastic book. And in fact, it is the best-selling book of all time. And not just that, it is also the most commonly stolen book of all time. Perhaps because sometimes people walk away from church with a Bible. Maybe they take a Bible from the good old Gideons from the hotel room. Or, or maybe they, they're, they're taking Bibles from wherever they are because it's so widely printed. It's everywhere. But the Bible, it, it, is, it is old, yes, but it is still alive. In fact, it is being translated as we speak into more languages so that more people can have this eternal word because it is not a book for information. This is a book that is all about transformation. And this book is not finished transforming lives. In fact, in this room, there are stories of transformed lives that go back to this book. And there are, there are lives in this room that have yet to be transformed that, that are going to be in, in the name of Jesus, I believe, by this book, by the power of God, uh, it is going to continue to transform lives of those in this room and those in this community. That's one of the reasons why we're here. That's one of the reasons why the church matters and membership matters. 
It's more than just a book. It's kind of like a library of books. There's prophecy, history, parables, biography, proverbs, songs, prayers, letters, speeches. There's all sorts of things in this book. And I I wish we had all day to talk more about it, but we do not. So I have two resources for you. If you are a book reader and you're a student and you love to learn, there is an incredible book called Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. Reading the Bible for All It's Worth is a, is a book that you can go to, go to Amazon or wherever you buy books, and it is a phenomenal book for you to dig into God's Word um, and, and to be able to study it. If you like videos over the book, in other words, you like the movie more than the book, there's a video resource for you as well. It is called BibleProject.com. BibleProject.com has uh, many, many videos that, that break down different books of the Bible and the, the Bible as a whole. It's a phenomenal place to go to to get more understanding about the Bible. So the book is Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. The website also is BibleProject.com that has videos. The, the Bible is, is not always in chronological order, but it is a story of how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You see, the Bible is a story of God's love for us and how he sought to save us. What makes the Bible alive? What makes it active? What makes it useful? Why is it important for the church? Why is it important for church membership? And why is it important for you? Well, let's go specifically to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is where we're going to spend most of our time, and I'm going I'm to show you some other verses up on the screen, but 2 Timothy, is, is, these are special, special books. You have, you have people in your life maybe that, that aren't family, but they're like family, right? How many of you have, a, you have an aunt and you discover, oh, that wasn't my real aunt. It was just a close friend, and so we called her aunt. Or you have an uncle, or you have a brother, or you have a sister, and it's not by blood, but it's by love. It's by relationship that they are family. Paul didn't have children, per se, biologically, but he had sons, spiritually speaking. He had a son named Titus and a son named Timothy that were so dear to him that he called them sons. And here's here's how things would go. Paul, after his life was transformed by, by Jesus speaking his word directly to him, Paul went from being a killer and destroyer of the church to a builder and a promoter and a planter of the church. Phenomenal story you can catch in Acts chapter 9. But fast forward, now Paul is going on his missionary journeys, and he's starting churches. And, and Paul's the kind of guy, maybe, maybe he's like you. He, he's the entrepreneur. He's the visionary. He's the starter. But don't ask him to manage. Don't ask him to stay put because he's on the move all the time. And he's got too many ideas to stay put and, and manage one single idea for the rest of his life. He's got things to do, and so he's moving to the next town, moving to the next town, moving to the next town. But he doesn't leave the church without leadership. So he has, a, he has a team that he takes with him, and he delegates this leadership to another person as he goes to another town, and then he will send letters back, oftentimes to that person or that church, to check in. How are things going? And so we, we have First Timothy and Second Timothy that are letters back to a young pastor named Timothy. So after they spent two, two to three years in Ephesus, Paul said, okay, it's time for me to go. Timothy, you're up. You're the new guy. 
You're not just the pastor of a single church. You're now the pastor of the whole Christian community in a very important, very powerful, influential town or city called Ephesus. So now Timothy is, is the guy. And it, you, Timothy couldn't text Paul questions. He couldn't FaceTime Paul when he had an issue come up. He, he, couldn't, he, he couldn't be in regular communication. So these letters were so important as he received word from Paul how to be a pastor, how to be a leader, how to teach this Christian community, these groups of churches in Ephesus. And here we get to read this letter. And we get to hear, what did Paul say to Timothy? What was important? What did Timothy need to know? So with that context, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to build up to our key verses 16 and 17, but let's, let's do that with verses 12 to 15. Paul says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul's not known for his sugarcoating, his, his encouraging words. Paul just says it how it is. So he's saying, if you want to live a godly life, you're going to get persecuted. Now keep in mind, this is a time where Caesar is Lord, not Jesus. Where, where Caesar is king, and there is no other king. And so to proclaim the name of Jesus as Lord and king was like treason. It, it, was, it was edgy. It was countercultural. It was going against the norm. And, and Timothy needed to know this. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Sounds like today. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Now, this is that that one-on-one moment with Timothy. He's encouraging him now to stay true to the word. Continue in what you've learned. Having haven't become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I just think some of these words are are, are interesting. He, Paul is saying, okay, you're going to see this. This is the norm. This is where the culture is going. This is where society is going. But he says, but as for you, don't you think that is so true for us 2,000 years later? This is, this is where the world is going. This is where our culture is going. This is where our society is going. But the Word of God 2,000 years later is just as relevant today as it was then. Because the Bible is telling us, but as for you, because the church has been called out. The church has been called to be different. The church has been called to be set apart. And that is no different now as it was then. But as for you, Paul says, continue in what you know, continue in what you've learned, continue in what your, your, your grandma taught you, your mom taught you. There's, there's this generational thing that we learn about in, in Timothy that, that, that Timothy was a, it was a product of a, of a legacy from his grandma to, to his mom and now to him. And, and now Timothy is continuing to build his legacy with his peers and with those younger than him. But he needed to be reminded to continue on with what he's learned. The importance of the word is being being emphasized by Paul. Because if if Timothy misses the importance of the word, the Christian community in Ephesus is doomed. The Christian community in Ephesus is going to become like everyone else. 
the Christian community in Ephesus is going to start worshiping the false idols, getting distracted, and letting the culture dictate their day-to-day lives. I think that's true of us today, too. If we forget the importance, the weight, the truth of God's word, we're going to become like everyone else. We're going to look like everyone else. We're going to talk like everyone else. We're not going to be set apart or distinguishable from the world. Now let's, let's get to these two verses that, that tell us how awesome, how important, how alive, how active and useful God's word is. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all scripture. How, how much of scripture? Just, just, just the parts we like. Just the, just not the weird parts in the Old Testament that still sometimes don't make sense to me. Uh, everything but Revelation, because Revelation, I don't know. No, it says all Scripture. And all Scripture means all Scripture, and that is just as true today as it was then. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What I want to do uh, this morning is just kind of break down uh, the idea that God's word is, is alive and it's active and it's useful. We're going we're gonna to walk through each of those aspects. What does it mean for us as a church and what does it mean for us as individuals? So let, let's dig in. First, the Bible is alive. All scripture is God-breathed. And if something has the breath of God, it is alive for God to breathe something into existence. He, he did that back in Genesis. Remember, he, he spoke the birds into existence. He, he spoke the mountains into existence. He spoke the sun and, and the moon. And I mean, it just must have been amazing. He spoke those things to existence. But then when he got, he got to us, he formed us, he breathed life into us. Man, it got personal. It got real. It got relational. It got up close. God got his hands dirty. God is a personal God. And when God makes something alive, it is alive indeed. And this is what he did with his word. It says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Whoa. The Bible is alive and active. It's sharp it cuts, and that doesn't cut to hurt, but it cuts to convict. It, it cuts to transform. It cuts to perform surgery. It cuts to, to tell us what the truth is, to, to divide this, this mess of half-truth and half-lie, the, the deceptions of the evil one, the deceptions of this world. God's word, it stays sharp. You know those infomercials and, and they take a knife and they're cutting the tomato, then they cut a brick and then they can still cut the tomato again and, and you only need one, but if you, if you call now, you'll get two more for free, but you don't need them, so you're wondering what's going on and it's $10, but shipping is $200. It's, this, is, this is the Bible and it will cut and cut and never go dull. It is old, but it is not dead. It is still alive and active and useful, and it will never go out of style. It'll never go old-fashioned. Some things are just 
true forever, and this is one of them. The Bible is alive. Now let's look at the, the Bible is active. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is, this is Paul writing to a community of, of Christians in Thessalonica, and he says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as, as it is actually the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The word of God is active. It is working in our lives. It's working in our hearts. It's, it's moving. It's prompting us to say things. It's prompting us to do something. It's, it's nudging us. It's, it's telling us what to say, what not to say. It is, it is God's word, and it isn't passive. It doesn't just sit there. Maybe sometimes our Bible just sits there, but God's word doesn't sit. It moves. It transforms. It is active. Let me just illustrate this briefly. There, there, are, there are missionaries. I just watched a, a documentary about missionaries going to villages in Papua New Guinea, the, uh, like the eastern half of one of the islands of Indonesia. And they're going into these villages where they don't have a written word. And so they're translating the Bible into spoken word and at times writing their language down for the first time so they could read the Bible. And, and it is transforming cultures. It is transforming lives. Some of these villages used to practice all sorts of evil. They used to practice cannibalism. Not 2,000 years ago, but just decades ago. These are, these, are, these are people who are lost, who are in the dark, and God's word comes and shines a light, and it's transforming their lives, and it's, it's absolutely remarkable. There, there, there's, a, there's a missionary one day in, in Mexico that came across a, 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 a woman and he gave this woman a, a Bible. And, and, and from this Bible, this woman was able to begin to read her language, to begin to read Spanish. And not just read, but also be transformed. Because what she read in the Bible did not line up with maybe what the popular opinion of God and his word was in, in her town. And she began to understand that God was a personal God, not like, not like the God that was, that was being presented and taught by the, by the church in, in the plaza in the middle of the town. And then she began to understand who God was and that God loved her. And she began to believe in God as her Lord and Savior and joined a church that was teaching God's word. And then this lady began to pass her faith on to others that she knew, pass her faith on to her children and to her children's children. And this lady, her name was Julia, and that's who our oldest daughter is named after because this lady is actually my wife's grandma who became a Christian in Mexico because a missionary gave her a Bible and she learned to read but she learned so much more and she built a legacy that is continuing to this day you see the Bible is alive and the Bible is active and thirdly the Bible is useful the Bible is useful. It says all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So let's talk about each of those briefly before we get really, really practical. First of all, teaching, to instruct, to inform, to communicate knowledge. Jesus in the Great Commission said, go and make disciples. And the, 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 the engine, or maybe the gas rather, of making disciples was teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So this teaching aspect uh, is so important 
from the Bible. We have to teach it. That's how it is useful. Uh, and we are equipped with the Bible to fulfill the Great Commission. Some of you might teach kids. Some of you might teach youth. Some of you might teach your peers in small groups. Some of you are teaching and you don't even realize it because oftentimes we teach with our lives just as much as we teach with our words. You say they, they say that more is caught rather than taught, right? And, and so our very lives are teaching all the time. The question is, what are we teaching? How are we influencing those around us? The Bible is useful for teaching. Second, the Bible is useful for rebuking, to reprimand, to strongly warn. There, there's a story in Luke where, where the disciples encounter the Samaritan village that were not friendly to them. And so they go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you want us to, to cry out for, for thunder and lightning to come and strike down the Samaritan village? And Jesus is like, no. You don't, I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. I didn't come to condemn them. I came to serve them and love them. But you see, sometimes, uh, sometimes we can get a little excited about the rebuking part, and we have to remember how, how careful we have to be with the rebuke and how it is done with love, it is done with truth, and it is, it is done with God's word. But rebuking is when we come against something that is going against God. I'll give you an example of that in, in just a moment. So the, the Bible is useful for rebuking. The key thing with rebuking, though, is that the person needs to know better. We can't just go, we can't go out to lunch and just start rebuking everybody that doesn't pray before they eat. We can't go and, and to work tomorrow and just start rebuking everybody who didn't go to church yesterday because chances are everyone you work with don't know the truth. Chances are the people that you go and eat at the same restaurant of today, they don't know Jesus. We can't rebuke people that don't necessarily know better. Rebuking is saved for people who know the truth and know better. That, that, that's part of what makes a rebuke a rebuke. Also, correct. Correcting. How do we, how do we use God's word? We, we teach, we rebuke, and we also correct just to set right or to make straight. Slightly different than a rebuke. So let me, let me give an example. Uh, what, a, a rebuke is a coach telling the soccer player who's never played before, a rebuke is saying, no, don't score on our own goal, right? As they are about to dribble and shoot on their own goalie. A, a, a correction is telling the, the player to pass the ball a little bit more. How that coach is going to yell the rebuke is going to be different as to how that coach communicates the, the correction because the difference is in urgency and the difference is in consequence. If you score on your own goal, you could lose the game. If you, if you don't pass enough, you know, maybe that's just a development uh, that, that you have as a, as a player. For example, one time I had to, I had to rebuke somebody that, that was part of our church for, for a, a short time. And, and the rebuke was necessary because this man was going around in a nearby, a nearby apartment complex impersonating the lead pastor of our church, going door to door asking people for money for a special offering that the church down the road was taking, claiming that he was the lead pastor of the church. So nonetheless, that, that, that required a rebuke because he was, he was lying, he was committing fraud, he was going against what the Bible teaches. That was, in, that was, that was a fairly easy one, but it, it does offer an example. A, a correction was, you know, one time I had to, I had to help 
um, some of our, our team members before that were supposed to be greeting people as they came in, but they were oftentimes too busy on their phone and they missed people. And especially when they missed new people to the church, I, I had to pull them aside and say, hey guys, you remember, you know, in Philippians 2, where, where Jesus is talking about putting others before ourselves. So when you're serving, I need you to live that out. I want you to put others before yourself. It wasn't a rebuke, but it was a correction. It was a different urgency and consequence uh, than, than the guy that was at the apartment complex down the street, uh, you know, impersonating the, the, the lead pastor and, and asking people for money. So the, the Bible is, is helpful and useful for rebuking and correcting. And then fourthly, it is useful for training and training in righteousness. To train means to discipline, to teach, to form by practice. First Timothy, so the first letter to Timothy, it says this in chapter 4, verse 8, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. I, I believe that the, the more teaching and training that happens in a church, then, then the less rebuking and correcting that, that we have to do. Training is, is a little different than teaching because it, it's giving people steps and pieces of the whole. It's giving people opportunities to succeed and fail. It's delegating tasks and authority of ministry. It's hands-on. It, it takes time. You get your hands dirty. It's ongoing. It's not one and done. And it's definitely hard work. A healthy church teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains. But when I say, when I say a church, the, the, the stage doesn't do any of that. The walls don't do any of that. The stained glass window, although beautiful, doesn't do any of that. The parking lot will never rebuke. It will never teach. It will never correct, you know, unless it's got a big you know, hole in it. It might correct your, your, your driving as you, as you drive along, but the, the, the building isn't going to do those things. And the, the teaching, the rebuking, the correcting, the training, it's not just for pastors. It's not just for the deacons or staff. It's not just for small group leaders, Sunday school teachers. It's for all of us to participate in. You see, a, a healthy church isn't about the building or the music or, or even the church service or how many people come to church. A healthy church is made up of healthy church members. Not perfect, but healthy. Healthy because they're growing. Healthy because they're learning. Healthy because they're participating. And even though our participation in the teaching and rebuking, correcting, and training, it's all going to look different. It's going to have a different flavor, a different feel, a different context, a different audience. But you're all participating whether with kids or youth or friends or family or small groups. So as individuals of the church that make up the church, here's, here's what we ought to do, is we ought to get into the Bible, and the Bible will get into our life. We need to get into the Bible so that the Bible can get into our life. How on earth do I do that? It's old. It's long. It's got weird words I can't understand. It's got names that I don't get. It's, it's, I get it. So here's what we do. We do it really simple. And I'm going to give you something that's easy to remember and easy to do so that you can get into the word, so the word can get into you, and it's called soap. It, it, it might be something that you've heard of before. It's, it's nothing new. It's definitely not something I made up. It is a simple Bible study method that allows you to get into the 
to the Word of God so it can get into your life. S stands for Scripture. O stands for observation. A stands for application. And P stands for prayer. And what this looks like is maybe you read a chapter or even a paragraph of the Bible. And you write that down, what, what you're reading, just the reference. And then you begin making observations like, oh, this is to Timothy. And oh, he, he, said, he said from infancy, you've known the scripture. So, okay, Timothy, Timothy grew up with the Bible. And you're making observations of, of what is said. You're, you're looking at key words. You're, you're seeing, oh, wait, I think it says this in another part of the Bible. And you jot that down. You're just making simple observations of what the Bible is saying, some key words, what it means, maybe where it's from, who's, who wrote it, who is it written to. You go as deep as you want, as long as you want. This could take five minutes, or you could go five hours. Believe me, there is so much in the Bible, so many beautiful and amazing gems and minerals to pull out. And the more you dig, the more you discover. It's just absolutely amazing. And so you, you get into the scripture, then you make observations, but you don't stop there because it's not for information, it's for transformation. Now you say, well, what am I going to do with it? Oh, Timothy knew the scripture since infancy. I have a baby, or I have a grandson, or I have a niece. How can I ensure that that young person knows the scripture from infancy? Oh, I, I could read the Bible to them. I, I, could, I could talk about the Bible in my everyday conversation. I could set a time together that we, that we read and talk. Whatever it is, you begin making it real, making it applicable. How can, how can I apply what I learned based on the observation, based on what I read? How can I apply it? And good luck applying it without Jesus, right? So good luck applying it without prayer. So then you end with prayer. God, give me courage. Give me opportunities. Give me the time. Give me... Give me the, the perseverance to do the things that I, I decided I want to do. Help me, Lord. And, and, and you end it with prayer. And then you realize, oh, I, just, I just got into God's word. I just, I just dug into a book that's thousands of years old, but it, it's becoming alive. It's going from black and white to color. It's going from one-dimensional to three-dimensional. And all of a sudden, your hunger and your thirst and your desire is, is increasing for God's word and your perspective on it is no longer that it's just an old book that's almost dead. You're saying, no, this, this book, it's alive, it's active, it's useful, it's eternal, it's surgical, it's relevant, and it's my favorite book. And I don't want to go a single day without opening it. Imagine a church full of church members who are correctly and appropriately teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteous, righteousness. Imagine a church that is full of church members who are soaping the Bible, who are getting into God's Word every day so that the Bible is now in their life, and you're speaking it, you're singing it, you're dreaming it, you're thinking it, and you're taking it everywhere you go. Imagine a church that is so into God's word, that it is so into them, that you can't separate the two. That is a church that will be so full of truth, that will be so set apart, that will be a city on a hill, that will transform this community, and not just this community, but the entire world. It will be the church that God loves to move mountains through. You see, God has spoken. And he continues to speak. God has something to say. The question is, are, are we listening? 
God is speaking. Let's open it up and hear what he has to say. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for a time that we can discover or or even rediscover your word for us, A, a time that we can just be reminded of how good your truth is, how how good your word, how perfect it is, and how it's just, it's sitting there waiting for us. So God, I pray that you would give us time, courage, understanding, and wisdom to open up your word, to get into it so it can get into us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite all of you to stand down. Heard the message that Pastor Mark has brought before us. And if there are anything that you want to do to make a decision or accept the Lord or anything, um, please come forward and just kneel before the altar here on the stage and just pray. Perhaps there are some problems that you're facing right now and you just want uh, the church to just come alongside of you, to partner you with you, to pray, to acknowledge that, uh, yes, I need help. Lord, I need you. So, uh, just come forward and just come in, get before the altar here and just get right with God and just let him know what you need. So we sing this very familiar song and all of us can sing together. You guys all know this song. I know you guys all know this song. It's Lord, I need you. And so, um, yeah, just come sing along with us. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to the other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you so much for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.